financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. And I'm on, as always, with my partner, Dominic Tavella. How are you doing, Dom? Doing very well, Mike. How about yourself? Doing well, thank you. No complaints. We don't have any guests tonight, Don. We have a lot to go over. There's a lot. It's supposed to be the quiet time of the year, the dog days of summer. But between um, new legislation coming out of Washington and, and the market trying to figure out you know, what direction, um, it's just going to be you and I tonight just doing a quick wrap up on the market and um, going over some of the data and some of the bullet points. But just a wrap up of last week. Market took a little bit of a break from the from the rally it had um, in the, from the starting point of mid July. The S and P was down a little bit more than one. The Nasdaq was down two and a half. The Dow was almost was basically flat. Yesterday was a little bit of an ugly day, and today, kind of, I guess, all things being equal, a relatively quiet day. But but um, market right now, Dom is trying to figure out which way to go as we uh, head towards the end of summer. Yeah, Mike. Uh, uh, and I think, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for a while that we would go through this quiet period, but we didn't mean the markets. Right? We, we meant that uh, something in the neighborhood of about 90 percent of companies have announced their earnings. And for the most part, they've been decent, not spectacular, but not terrible. Um, and the Fed does not meet this month. They meet in September. So we've gotten some continuing inflation data, but nothing significant, at least now until September. And so the markets uh, are not a lot of people in their office, not a lot of people working, not a lot of noise. And you can almost kind of feel the currents in the market up and down, trying to find direction and footing. And we've seen uh, over the last couple of days, it it can get really uh, brutal pretty quick. Um, And uh, none of it should be a surprise to us and our clients. We've been talking about it for a while. You know, you say you could get brutal pretty quick. And sometimes I feel, and I've complained about this topic pretty frequently. Sometimes I feel the media, you know, because it's, there's so much, there is so much media. They have to find something to talk about. And I know you're a frequent contributor on Fox Business News. You know, the headline last night was market has jitters over a possible recession. Where does it even come from? And that's just made up. I mean, it's just like an ongoing story that they got to attach a sell-off to something, which can make it even worse. Well, look, uh, I, I will say this, that that we did have a 600-point negative day on the Dow, um, 2% on the S&P negative and, and the NASDAQ. And those are pretty, in one day, those are pretty, pretty brutal numbers. But you are correct, right? They're going to try to sell the headline um, and sometimes we, we've joked about this, even though it's not really a joking matter. You never get on an, on an, ele- an elevator if it said soar right. uh, or plunge. Right. Uh, right. Um, and, you know, 2% in one day is a lot for these markets. But 
um, you know, why the rationale, we're going to spend a lot of time. And I think this is kind of important that you and I should just talk a little bit about what's going on and why, as opposed to maybe having a guest on tonight. So we're going to spend a lot of time on what's going on and why, but the headlines do often make stomach churning a little bit more intense, uh, maybe more than it needs to be. And I think they confuse the situation sometimes more than laying clarity because look there's a lot of tea leaves you could read into the market there's a lot of anecdotal evidence you could read into the market but it's not like you know you could call up the market and say what's upsetting you today <laughs> well you know it, it, it's, we we should remind people that a lot of the trading that goes on every day is actually done by machines. Mm -hmm. um, uh, very sophisticated companies use very sophisticated software that really reads into headlines and maybe a word by this uh, Fed governor or a word by that politician. And then it'll initiate trading on, on those words. I know it sounds yes. insane, but it does. Uh, so there's no judgment there. It just initiates. And then there's technical data that machines trade on technical data. So it can start a cascading effect. And maybe maybe that's what happened yesterday, where one cascade led to another, led to another. Sometimes a cascade turns into a massive wave. Um, we need to be sensitive about that. And, and uh, I, I know you know, and I think most of our clients know, no machine learning trading on our part. We try to be, use a lot of common sense and logic and thought in what we do and when we do it. But um, sometimes these cascades have their own life to them and they take us places maybe we don't want to go. You know, I'm really glad that you said that because you're not making that up. I mean, there are literally, literally computer programs that parse through words and the repetition of those words and make trading decisions based on those words. I mean, that is not an exaggeration. It get as it get talked about that often, but you're exactly correct that it's almost like an airplane on 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 autopilot. Uh, and then just to kind of make situation even worse, it's like machine learning in that you have these chat rooms of uh, perhaps millions of investors, certainly hundreds of thousands of dollars of investors that, you know, they create this, this uh, uh, momentum in a trade and then they act in unison. And that's the mem trading, some of these speculative stocks. And you can watch some of these speculative stocks go up 20, 30, 50% or equally down 20, 30, 50% in a day mm -hmm. because this group act in unison in, in, in pushing a stock higher mm -hmm. or lower. And again, not really our cup of tea. It's not where we play, not where we have funds allocated for our clients, but they do affect the market, right? And they affect the mood of the market. They do. And, and, and it's also influencers, whether it's the president of the United States or the Federal Reserve or the Treasury Secretary, you know, or, or, or any corporate CEO. So yeah, the, the, these everyone's listening and everyone's trying to parse through what, what this all means, which, which our job sometimes, Dom, is not to listen, but to try, try to ignore all that noise and chatter and make logical decisions for the long run. Yeah, and, and I love to say common sense decisions um, such that our clients would make 
on their own if they were given all the facts. Uh, and obviously, we, we, we're making the best decisions possible, I think are possible given the time, but we don't have a crystal ball, right? So we're also trying to figure out where this current, where this river is going to go and just make sure we protect our clients. So it's 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 a, it's not an easy job, but we chose it, Mike, right? No one mm-hmm. made us do it. So uh, we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to try to explain this to our clients and viewers in a way that hopefully is, uh, brings a little common sense to the conversation. So one thing I really want to talk about tonight is the new legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a lot of good things in there, but it has nothing to do with inflation, right? So, <laughs> so, so I didn't want to bury the lead. That's that's we'll, why we'll pick that up on, on one after the break. Yes, yes. So we'll be right back, and we will discuss the Inflation Reduction Act when we get back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-G-A-X. Le tax. Rates on cash are already so low. Why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor, at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella. So, Dom, before the break, I briefly mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. And there were some good things in this legislation and things that, you know, this administration has been working on for a while. But, geez, 
it's just so disingenuous to call it the Inflation Reduction Act. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, I got a report from Mara Pendant, who's global market strategist at JP Morgan. We know her. We've met with her. She's been a guest on the show. And she laid out exactly what this thing is. But her first quote is, despite the name, it may not have a measurable impact on reducing inflation, which is being driven by higher energy and food prices, rents, and consumer goods and service spending. So again, there's some things in here that this administration wanted to attack and, 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 and get to, but just calling it the Inflation Reduction Act because we're in an inflationary period is so deceptive and just so disingenuous. It's just frustrating. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it shouldn't shock you, but I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I honestly, um, I just refuse to call it that, Mike. I'm just going to stop and call it the Inflation Act and, <laughs> and leave it at that. Um, look, as you said, there are some very good things in this bill. Uh, this administration has an agenda, particularly revolving around uh, climate change. Um, and you can argue all day long, you like it, you don't like it. And I'm going to put that off to the side. But it's likely in the short term, this will add to inflation. Mm -hmm. Long term, there are especially things revolving around drug pricing that it could uh, longer term uh, have some capping on inflationary uh, things. But but in the short term, it's more likely to actually add to the inflation. You're flooding the market with dollars. That's more dollars chasing fewer goods that are still limited. Mm -hmm. And this is not hard, right? Uh, Tesla does not have a problem selling cars. It will sell every single car that it can produce. Having a tax credit to make that car more affordable, it, it's not going to dent the needle on, on inflation. And in fact, Tesla announced that they're going to do a price increase for their software to for the self-driving mode of their car. Right. It's a significant um, one, like a 25% increase. Not oh, a small yeah, it's increase. huge. It's a huge yeah. increase. And yeah. again, uh, they're selling every car they can sell. So the tax credit is going to make things a little bit better for them. I, I, it's not going to do anything to, to reduce inflation. I'm sure some Democrats uh, would argue with that point, but quite a few prominent Democrats have stepped up to the plate and said rather publicly that perhaps we should have called it something else. And I'll just leave it at that, Mike, that uh, uh, you can discuss good or bad. You like parts of it. You don't like parts of it. On the other hand, um, they probably should have come up with a different title. Yeah, it's a, look, as I said, it's, a, the, it's I don't have any beef with, with the legislation in and of itself, what they're trying to accomplish. Not a policy expert, but it does not take a, a, a Mensa student to figure out that the title and the and, and the beef, you know, the old expression, you can't judge a book by its cover. If the title of the book was the Inflation Reduction Act, the book has nothing to do with that. Nothing That's to all. do with that. And Mike, uh, one last thing, we don't want to spend the whole show talking about this, but look, we all want to point the finger at the Federal Reserve. They kept interest rates too long, too low for too long. They should have been a little bit more aggressive in tightening up their uh, monetary policy. But what we don't spend enough time on is that both administrations, starting with the Trump administration, and then particularly the Biden administration, flooded, 
flooded our economy with dollars. I call it helicopter dollars. We all receive checks in the mail or loans or deposits in our checking accounts, automatic. And the U.S. population having all these extra dollars when the goods could not be delivered, they were all locked up in China, locked up in port. They couldn't show up in stores. That's the definition of inflation. Too many dollars chasing too few goods. And now we have another pile of dollars being released by this administration, only in my opinion, adding uh, Mm -hmm. to the problem. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to call it the recession act from now on. (laughs) The, I apologize, inflation, the inflation act from now on. There you go. You know, and to, and to that point, there was a, there was a very telling statistic that came out last week about the housing market. Last year at this time, Dom, a 30 year mortgage was about 3%, which was a great deal for any home buyer, especially a new home buyer, a younger couple starting out. 3% is a phenomenal interest rate. Now the interest rate's 5.4%. That's not outrageous. I mean, it's still a relatively fair deal, but it's not 3%. And what that does, Dom, for the average home buyer, it increases their monthly payment on an average mortgage by $627 a month. So again, the average home buyer, something's got to give. So the Fed is accomplishing their goal because if, if, if the price of a mortgage costs more, then what obviously happens to home prices? They fall. They fall. Or at the very least, stop going up. Right. So, so you could argue now that the Fed is accomplishing their goal because that one statistic, Dominic, obviously has a ripple effect through many, many, many parts of the economy, whether it's, whether it's mortgage brokers, whether it's, whether it's general contractors, whether it's Home Depot, whether it's bankers. And, and that triple, trickle effect is not only that the mortgage broker may be making less money, is the mortgage brokers not not going to the restaurant now, not going to the dry cleaner maybe you know as frequently and just not spending as money as as rapidly. So you there is clear cut evidence now, and I love your opinion that the rising interest rates, the Fed is successful in now finally tapping on the brakes. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, there there are a couple of things that are really significant drivers of the economy. And we've talked about consumer spending and the consumer willingness to spend. It probably represents 60 to 70 percent of economic growth. Business spending is high up there. But home ownership is another huge component. And think about the, the average person that either owns a home, but more important, buys, a, whether it's a brand new home or slash they're buying a, a, brand, a, a new home constructed or a new home that's an existing property. Hey, it's a, we're going to renovate the bathroom. We're going to put in a brand new bathroom. We're going to renovate the kitchen or put in a brand new kitchen, a new roof, windows, carpeting. Think about where that stuff is manufactured. Think about the employee of that company that is manufacturing or coming to your home to install it. The economic multiplier of that, and I think that you're spot on, Mike, the economic multiplier of home ownership is so powerful that it literally means the next person and the next person and the next person has a job. Mm -hmm. So when that home doesn't get sold, 
Um, or if the person buying that home is kind of tapped out, right? They're mm-hmm. stretching for that last dollar and they don't have the extra dollars to renovate the home or renovate the bathroom or put in the windows, whatever. Um, that economic multiplier really, really comes down. So to that extent, this is exactly what the Fed is trying to do. We've talked about it and calling it tapping the brakes on the economy, right? Slowing the economy down. And today you can bring it up. uh, We have proof positive that the economy is slowing down. And Dom, to your point about the buyer, no one ever really talks about the seller. And the seller more frequently or not, Dom, they're our clients, right? They're the folks in the 50s, 60s, or 70s selling their home, downsizing. And and yeah, they may be selling their home for a million dollars, but if they thought they were selling it for a million too, guess what? They feel poor now. They feel less affluent now. They too are less likely, Dom, to spend because they don't feel as flush as they thought they would be when they possibly put their home up for sale. Uh, again, I think you could not be more correct, Mike. Um, I will say this, that, and and uh, I know uh, plenty of my clients, I'm sure the same with you, but we had a lot of people on kind of on hold about selling their home. And that contributed to the problem. There wasn't a lot of inventory, a lot of homes for sale, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of people are like, well, it's going up by like 20% a year. Why would I sell? I'll just wait and hold on. And all of a sudden it's, oh my God, maybe I missed the boat. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see a lot of homes come on the market, which further depresses prices, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of buyers that are starting to think twice, you know what? I've had two clients in the last two weeks that go, you know what, Dom, I sold my house, but I'm not going to buy. I think I'm going to wait a little while and see what happens. So the buyers are starting to be more cautious and maybe on strike. The sellers are starting to get a little bit more desperate and more inventory is coming on the market. And I think you're already starting to see the capping out of higher prices and maybe even prices starting to come down a little bit. Yeah, and, and and like I said, and that is that trickle down effect and that and that cascading throughout the economy with throughout the economy that literally has a ripple effect in every, in most sectors that you could think of. Yeah, and so it is. People don't want to hear this, and I appreciate it, but we often get why is the Federal Reserve raising interest rates? What does that have to do with me? And it's exactly this, right? Whether it's a mortgage, which you you, uh, so eloquently pointed out, but it could be a car loan, it could be a credit card interest rate. It could be, hey, maybe you're not going to get a promotional rate on a product that you want to buy, you know, interest-free for the first six months, right? Uh, All this has economic impact. All of it makes the consumer pause and Think about, should I buy that product? Should I buy that service? Should I buy that new home? And all of that slows the economy down. And the the other thing that it does, like you're right, and I couldn't agree with you more. There's also a little bit of resentment that I hear from our, our clients because interest rates are going up, CDs are trickling up. But honestly, Dom, the banks have not really budged on their savings rates at all. I mean, they're still paying, I didn't look today, so I don't want to quote a number, but it's paltry. 
And, and clients know that clients aren't dumb and they see interest rates are going up on, on, on cost of goods and services and on mortgages. But why, why isn't their savings rate going up? Why are yeah, like, it's kind of like what happens with gas prices, yeah. right? They seem to go up really fast. Uh, but then when gas, when gasoline uh, oil prices fall, the coming down is just a little slower. Um, mm -hmm. And we're seeing that in, in savings account, checking account rates, CD rates in the bank. They are higher today than they were a year ago. But when you think how much the Fed has raised interest rates, how much the Fed pays the banks on their deposits, the, you would think the rates that banks are paying would, uh, would equally match. And they have. It's, it, at best, it's going to take a, a while longer Worst, it could take a lot longer. Uh, yeah, and you know, and the other thing is, I don't think I don't think that the banks and the credit cards they issue could raise interest rates on credit cards much higher because they're insanely high now and never ever ever came down. Right, they were always between fifteen and nineteen percent. But um, but that's a scary proposition as well. I mean, how high can those things go? Um, they they definitely can go higher. Um, and, and again, I'm explaining, not justifying. Um, but their argument is that when we go through these difficult times and maybe and we're going to talk about that next, whether recession, no recession, but um, people default, right? They default on paying their credit cards, on their car loans, maybe got a bit on their home loans. And the banks have to eat that, right? That's part of their expense. So they're going, oh, well, we're going to be careful about paying you excess interest on your accounts because we might have higher defaults than we anticipated. And so their argument is that, yeah, we'll increase what we pay you, but it's going to be slow. Um, and, you know, justifiable or not, um, I don't know. We have not seen a significant rise in defaults, by the way, certainly not in mortgages or car loans or credit cards. So um, we'll see. We, we'll see what the next six months bring us. But I don't anticipate those numbers to dramatically go higher either. You know, once again, you know, 15 years on television, you're the master of the segue, right? Why haven't we seen defaults is because people aren't losing their jobs. It's yeah. where we're still at basically full employment, which is phenomenal for the economy. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take the next segment and talk about recession and no recession, because that's really at the end of the day, what these markets are reacting to, right? Depending which opinion and which side of the fence you want to stand on. But one of the really kind of perplexing almost issues is that, you know, the unemployment numbers have been pretty solid. We, oh, yeah. last employment number I heard, we added over half a million new jobs, Mike. And I think we still have plus or minus about 10 million jobs open. Uh, that's just an insane number. And it, kind of, I, I use this as a, a just a reference point. Uh, you're one of my favorite visiting places is uh, the country of Italy, you know, I, uh, my dear to my heart, Mike, uh, the entire population of Italy is 14 million people. Mm -hmm. So we literally could almost place every single living person in Italy with a job if they wanted it. Um, we don't have people to fill those jobs or qualified people to fill those jobs, depending who you listen to. So the employment number has been particularly strong. And I think that one of the reasons why, if we actually go into a recession, it might be a mild one. So it, it we'll, see, we'll save that one for the next segment. It could be. But the other data point as it relates to um, uh, employment is housing starts last month were down 9.6 percent. 
right? So, so how the housing industry, general contractors, they, they, there's a lot of people out there banging nails. So if, if that you know, really becomes an epidemic of sorts, that will slow down the economy. And, and, and let's you know, go back to where we ended the last part, Mike. So not only the people banging the nails, but think about people who sell the appliances, think people who mm -hmm. install the gas system, mm -hmm. the furnaces, the flooring, the tile, right? All these people work. So if we're not building the house, we're not renovating the house, then those people theoretically have less work and maybe, unfortunately, no work. So clearly a tell to what might be coming down the road. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after these few messages. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom, but the beauty of the funds is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm-mm, less taxes. More income. Less Taxes. More income. Less For taxes. your cash, ask your advisor less about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund less taxes or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X. The tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella. Dom, let's just try to put a bow on this recession conversation because I don't know exactly, maybe you do know when that report will be coming out from the official recession government office, whether we are technically in a recession or not. For, for 30 years, you know, the old back of the napkin, two negative quarters doesn't fly anymore. Again, politics. 
So I don't know when that data comes out, but but the Fed is still going to try and thread this needle and either try to avoid a recession, which I think is unlikely, or make it as mild a one as possible. What are your thoughts on that? So the first point is that you and I, that what we should talk about is that, you know, we were taught from as far back as I can remember, two quarters of negative growth technically is a recession. So apparently there's some independent third party group of, I don't know, economists that they look at a, n- a number of factors in addition to that uh, two negative quarter uh, data point. Um, and they will officially determine whether we are or are not in a recession. Um, what I can tell you definitively is, and you and I think about a recession, think about what happened after 08, 09, after the banking crisis. Think about what happened after 9-11 in 2001, um, after the, uh, the Twin Towers uh, fell, where you know unemployment was double digits, businesses went out of business, um, shuttered, uh, people went into foreclosure, businesses were filing for bankruptcy. So even if technically they come back and say, yes, technically we're in a recession, we don't have that going on, right? And we just mentioned the employment number was pretty solid. Uh, businesses uh, through this past quarter, 90% of the businesses reporting uh, decent numbers, Mike, uh, earnings, profits, sales, decent, nothing spectacular, but decent. Um, so we haven't hit that point yet where um, we're dealing with an ugly recession, even if they decide to call it uh, a recession, right? But, and this is what we're muddling with every day is, well, will the Fed continue its aggressive uh, tightening policy? And if so, will they end up slamming the brakes on the economy where we go into that kind of recession, mm-hmm. a really deep, ugly recession? And so the market's trying to decide and all the, the uh, experts are trying to decide, is that our future or I don't believe in a soft landing, but uh, maybe a mildly not too bumpy landing uh, where the Fed uh, just slows us down enough, but doesn't push us over the cliff. And I think... I do think that a lot of smaller businesses, smaller local businesses that didn't survive the pandemic, we've kind of gone through that wave, whether it's small dry cleaning companies that are closed that closed or small dance companies that had students that they couldn't, you know, teach or, 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 you know, local gyms or, or local cafes and restaurants. Unfortunately, Dom, that damage was done in the end of 20 and, and most of 2021, not this year. That That's an excellent point, Mike. Uh, the unfortunate part of um, capitalism, right? There's nothing really wonderful about capitalism. Um, the strong survive, the weak go away. Um, and it's, it's brutal, right? There's nothing fluffy about that. And so uh, that's an excellent point, Mike. A lot of the businesses that were weak have gone away. Um, and a large number of these companies that um, thrived during the COVID crisis, uh, well, their stock prices have dropped by 70, 80, 90 percent 
because the thing that made them valuable when the economy was closed, all of a sudden, not so valuable, right? And so those companies are laying people off. Those companies are even shuttering. And we've seen some, some retail chains starting to, to head in that direction. So I do see uh, the weak uh, maybe going by the wayside, and I'm trying to be polite about that, but this deep, ugly recession, uh, the markings aren't there just yet. Yeah, they're, they're not. And that's why I, I brought up the housing starts, because those things could be a tell. If we get two, three, four months in a row of that, Dominic, then I think there would be a, a more of a, a cry that we can have a, a deeper recession, because then it goes back to, oh, my God, people are now losing their jobs. Yeah, Mike, if I can kind of maybe put a bow on it, but, you know, through the middle of June, it was, oh, my God, inflation was through the roof and the Fed was going to have to be ultra aggressive and tightening, tightening interest rates. Then we got some decent, uh, still high inflation data and the Fed indicated that, oh, maybe things may not be as bad as we thought. And the market rallied. Uh, so we had a very nice six to eight weeks uh, uh, from the middle of June. And now we're starting the, the pendulum swinging the other direction that, oh, wait a minute, inflation might be stickier, might be around longer, and the Fed will have to be more aggressive in a tightening policy. And we're literally just trying to sail this boat through a storm and going, you know what, I don't know whether it will be uh, a, just a bad storm or a Category 5 hurricane, but we're just trying to steer the boat through the, the storm and hopefully come out the other side in one piece. Yeah, and as I said, uh, you know, in the beginning of the show, it's it's our job to take the long view because the answer, Dominic, is we don't know right now. Oh, and anybody that tells you they know, Mike, is, is just being downright silly. We all have opinions, and some might want to go a little bit more experienced and educated than others, um, and we're not going to be alarmists, right? We're not going on TV and talking about doom and gloom. But if we want to be realistic uh, and honest with our clients is, hey, the potential is there for the bad storm. We're in a pretty bad one right now, but it's, it's certainly the potential is there for it to be a lot worse. On the other hand, there's a lot of positives, too, that will help us get through this and the unemployment scenario uh, and the employment scenario are, are two big ones, right? Lots of jobs, lots of good paying jobs, um, and that will help us get through the storm. Yep. So let's talk about, about the market a little bit and as it relates to our asset allocation. Um, you know, the S&P was down 20% or just at 20% at its bottom. It's made back half of that through July 1st to right to, to the end of last week, the S&P was actually up almost 12. So I don't necessarily think, as you said, we're completely out of the woods. The bond market seems to be right sizing again. Again, we've talked about that a lot on the show, how the bond market was a disaster for the first half of the year. That seems to be getting a little better. So let's go over, Dom, what we've done in terms of asset allocation in our models to continue to try to make make back some of the money that clients may be down without making big bets and just trying to, as you said, you know, steer the ship through this uh, storm. Yeah. So thanks, Mike. Um, so to your point, um, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, right? But we've been trying to look at the big picture here. Um, and so coming into June, we had raised uh, a lot of cash, um, thinking that the storm was going to be pretty ugly. 
Um, we've put a little bit of it to work um, through this rise in the market, but we thoroughly believe that we're not through the storm, right? It's not all clear sailing. So we're maintaining a way above average cash and short, ultra short maturity bond exposure in our client portfolios. Um, and we've gotten a lot of feedback from clients that are grateful that we are being a little bit on the conservative side. So if the market goes straight up from here, then we guessed wrong, Mike. Um, the flip side of that is, um, if the market goes uh, significantly lower, we're prepared, but maybe we should have been more prepared, right? We should have had more money in cash. So we're kind of floating in the middle here, not being too conservative, not being too aggressive. Um, but our case here is that you should really own the best quality companies that money can buy. And you should keep speculation to a minimum, if any speculation at all, because back to uh, what you uh, said earlier, Mike, the the quality companies will survive. The mm -hmm. name strong balance sheet companies will survive and the speculative companies won't, won't. So ultra high quality, ultra conservative cash versus equity exposure, companies that pay us a dividend. Wow, that's even gravy. That even makes us happier. Um, and if we miss out a little bit, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I'd rather make a mistake and be a little bit too conservative than make a mistake and be a little bit too aggressive. So what's interesting is the, the, the three sectors that were up last week, only three sectors were up last week, and these are the same three sectors that, were, that are up for the year, right? And they're all very resilient to your point, all basically pay dividends and all basically do well in a storm. And you could guess what they are. You know what they are. They're consumer staples, energy, and utilities. Your grandmother's portfolio. Yeah, and that, none of that we would have owned a year ago, right? Right. Mike? It was a different weather pattern. It was a different weather report. Um, and go back to 2020, and we, we, we often discuss that. We own technology and healthcare, right? That was ended up being like 80% of our portfolio because the weather pattern was different. The weather report was different. So one of my pet peeves, and you, you and I talk about this almost daily, when we look at portfolios, um, from other institutions that are being brought over for us to manage, um, they, they don't change the weather report with the weather report. They, the portfolio stays static. It never seems to change. Um, and I call it wearing your bathing suit in the middle of the winter and your overcoat in the middle of the summer. You have to change the pattern, uh, the allocation in the portfolio. And I don't know if we have the perfect allocation today, Mike. We'll, we'll know in a month and three months and six months. But I'll tell you one thing, we'll adapt as we go if the climate, if the economic climate changes. So there's one sector, Dominic, which to me is the is the Goldilocks sector. And I'd love to get your opinion on this. You actually mentioned it. Healthcare, because we're living longer, science is amazing, surgeries are getting more sophisticated, people have a healthy lifestyle. Healthcare to me is almost that Goldilocks sector, which is always gonna be a part of our portfolios just because of what it represents. 
Uh, I couldn't have said it better, Mike. Uh, could not have said it better. So not only do we have a healthcare exposure, we have an overweighting to healthcare. And, and for the novice, that just means what we would normally put in that sector, we probably have doubled that number. Um, and, and the concept is really simple. Um, if you have a heart attack, uh, you're going to go to the hospital and you can go and get a bypass or a, a stent put in, right? If you need a knee replacement, you're going to go get it done. You don't care what the economy is doing, right? You're going to go get it. If your doctor prescribes certain drugs for your well-being, you're going to go get them right? You're going to go take them uh, every day and you're going to reorder as you need to be. So we are all living longer. Uh, we're all living healthier lifestyles in general, meaning uh, that that we're going to need care. Uh, I, I had a meeting with a client, sorry to digress for a second. And she said, half my body parts aren't really mine. She had uh, both knees replaced, a hip replaced, and then a joint. And I think it was her, her I don't know if it was her shoulder or elbow, but she was joking how many body parts were were uh, um, not hers, right? Um, and it's it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's a you, the quality of life is so much better now because science and biology and chemistry is now being driven towards a, a better quality of life and better healthcare. So why would we not want to have some dollars, client investment dollars in those sectors? And um, one that I think we hold for a very long period of time. And the other part of it, Dominic, is healthcare is is almost a catch-all, right? It's just a giant net. Because to your point, it includes prescription drugs. It includes surgical material. It includes hospital equipment, PPE. Remember that expression, PPE? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It includes prosthetics, you know, knees and, and, and elbows and hips. Um, Biotech, cutting edge research. It even includes real estate, senior living facilities, aging in place facilities. So it, it's not even, you know, that it's healthcare. It's just so many different genetics, you know, g genome technology. There's so many different places we could go in healthcare and never bump into, you know, each other. And a lot of those sectors are recession proof. Right? Correct. And that was your point that you made when you brought up the subject. So if you look at those, uh, just about every single one that you mentioned, um, where is somebody that needs health care, whether it's a long term care facility or a prescription drug or a knee replacement? Where is somebody going to go? No, we're in a recession. No, I don't want that. I'm not. I'm going to put that off. It doesn't happen where, hey, do I need to renovate my bathroom? Um, you know what? If I don't need to renovate it, I might put that off for a while uh, because I have time. I can do that at a later point. So we look at healthcare as a kind of a recession. I hate to say proof, but a kind of a recession. Um, Resilient. Uh, resistant. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You're Mike. welcome. Uh, sector. And we have an over allocation there. And, and talk a little bit about consumer staples, which is one of my favorite categories. Yeah, and, and I'm going to call them just in general as dividend paying stocks, mm -hmm. because most of them are right. So you can argue whether do you need to upgrade the TV set and you can think you can argue about other products, whether you should or shouldn't buy them. But when you want your cereal in the morning you're probably going to go and buy it, right, Mike? When you want your uh, uh, product or services that you use every day, um, you're probably going to go spend the money. You might try to 
you know, maybe cut corners here and there, but you're going to turn the electricity on, right? You're going to turn the light switch on. You might try to save a little bit and not keep all the lights in the house on, but there are certain companies, there are certain products, consumer staples is the, the broad category. Certainly utilities fall into that category where, you know, you pretty much, you might try to a little bit, save a little bit, but you're going to spend the money. You're going to spend the money. Um, and they also tend to be pretty resistant uh, products, companies. So you're going to buy your Coke. And that's just uh, one example. You might go, Man, maybe I'll go with the no frills brand. And you're going to go, you know what things, this makes me happy. I'm just going to spend the money. I'm going to buy the product that I want. So again, I wouldn't call them completely recession proof, but probably one of the higher recession resistant areas. And you're right. I do walk around the house like my father complaining that lights are on in rooms, no one's in and windows are open in rooms with the air conditioning on. So, so yeah, that don't happens. you know, we might be almost possibly in a recession. Exactly. Um, yes. Exactly. We've all right. turned into our fathers. So exactly. Don't walk around saying, do you think I'm a maid of money? Yes, that happens. So, but, but, but to your point, you know, yeah, you, 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 even when things are not going well and people are nervous, there's some comfort in buying, you know, the things you enjoy, which is still more expensive, but relatively inexpensive. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, I started to come back to the home example, but you brought it up and I thought it was an excellent example. You know, you might put off that major uh, renovation, right? Um, that maybe that budget breaking uh, renovation. Um, but then you kind of have to find some comfort somewhere. And that might be, hey, I'm going to get my Starbucks coffee or my Dunkin' Donuts coffee or my favorite cereal uh, or my favorite soft drink or my favorite bottle of wine <laughs> or the hard stuff if you're having a particularly miserable day. But but those kinds of products tend to be more solid. Sales might drop off a little bit, but they won't drop off and Dom, on a more global basis, you know, let's talk a little bit about the shift from growth to value, because you mentioned dividend payers and 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 frequently dividend payers are what's are those value companies. And again, I think that's an expression that we toss around a lot that the average investor probably doesn't know what we mean. Um, so again, U.S. based, um, we, we talked about the kind of companies that we would think of as value companies. I always call them boring, conservative, stable, don't get me rich, don't get me poor companies. That also exists around the world. Um, you have certainly Europe, uh, the more developed countries where uh, in Europe, they tend to be more financial services companies, but utilities as well. Um, and it, it, they typically, it's just the nature of their uh, stock market where their companies tend to be uh, more dividend oriented companies. They return capital to investors using dividends. Um, other other regions of the world might behave differently. And normally we would look to Europe um, and those kind of companies. Most of our clients have actually noted we are probably our lowest exposure to international in general, and maybe in years. Mike. Yeah, but but, uh, but 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 Dom, I mean, in our defense, because we got it right, we've had very little international exposure for a long time now. Certainly pre-COVID was yeah. where we really started to tone it down. So you are, again, correct, Mike. Uh, we've had a really low exposure, but we're really worried about, you know, we 
we're dealing with energy prices here and we complain and we think energy prices are high here, but energy prices relative to what's going on in Europe are, are just on another planet. Gas mm-hmm. prices, and I think eight, nine dollars here versus to a hundred, hundred fifty dollars comparatively in Europe. Uh, gasoline prices are one quarter the price here where they are in Europe. Um, and to me, that just says they're going to have a much more difficult time in their economic recovery. And I think the prospects for a recession in Europe are much, much greater, uh, much greater than here. China actually lowered interest rates, uh, I think, yesterday. Again, they are not growing anywhere near as fast as they were. They're still dealing with covid much worse uh, scenario there than here in the U.S. So the international markets are just having a more difficult time back to our weather report analogy. So we're, we're literally staying away um, from there if, as much as we can help it. And you know, what's interesting about Europe, developed Europe, is the one thing that might save developed Europe is the good old U.S. of A, because tourism is off the charts, Dominic. I mean, people are flocking back to Europe. Um, Take it from somebody that goes back and forth quite frequently, Mike, to see the euro today was actually below a dollar. And just for people uh, understanding what we were talking about, not even a year ago, it was a dollar 20 plus. And I gosh, over the years, I remember days where it was a dollar 40. So think about even a year ago where it's 20% lower. That means that theoretically we can buy uh, goods and services, whether it's a hotel room or a dinner at a restaurant uh, for 20% discount. Now they've had to raise prices, so it isn't quite a dollar for dollar discount, but it's a bargain going to Europe um, now for any, uh, uh, certainly US citizen going there and wanting to spend money. So now we've come full circle as we're about to close the show. Because, you know, the old expression, America sneezes and the rest of the world catches a cold, right? So if we do go into a recession, people are going to think twice about making those trips, right? That would that would add to their pain, Mike. Exactly. So, unfortunately, tourism is a pre- pretty big uh, input into our economy as well. Um, but on the other hand... Um, uh, us going there helps their economy, right? So anything that would happen uh, where we would uh, lower our tourism really would hurt them, would add a co- sort of insult to injury. So hopefully that doesn't happen. And just, you know, the last point, and we, we you know, our producer just chimed in, and I'm grateful for this. Um, Japan eased their travel restrictions today. And if you may recall, Dom, we were going to Japan right before the lockdown. I mean, we were scheduled to go to Japan in July of 2020. So, you know, there's also, an, you know, another, you know, an Asian country loosening up the restrictions because they want to get tourism back, not only in Europe, but in, in, in developed Asia as well. Yeah. And Mike, uh, so again, this is a global, we live in a global economy now and the Chinese, and I'm not trying to be funny, I swear, um, the Chinese were the, as a group, as a nation, were the largest consumers of tourism in the world. And that has significantly slowed down. They were literally traveling, traveling the world and Europe particularly, but also the U.S., um, and Australia, New Zealand, and um, uh, them as a nation, not 
consuming tourism as much has really hurt, hurt the global economy. So it's a moving, moving tide, Mike, and we're just trying to adapt as we go. Dom, unfortunately, we're out of time. We could probably sit here and do this for another hour. Um, next week, we have, uh, we, have a, we have two authors who wrote a book. Um, they're from MIT. So I'm assuming they're going to be uh, just a smidge smarter than we are. So um, I'm anxious to get their views um, for next week's show. But for tonight, Dominic, um, it was great spending the hour with you. And we are unfortunately out of time. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to add a little, hopefully a little common sense to this discussion, Mike, and uh, one that I enjoy sharing with clients. So glad we did it, Mike. Me too. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next night week. all. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.